Hey everyone, my name is Dina and you're listening to Slavsvite, a podcast about Slavic languages. So I know it's been a while since a new episode of Slavsvite came out and for those of you who follow me, you know that for a while I thought I'm done with doing this and then I decided to come back. So I want to thank each and every one of you for sticking and for still listening, <laughs> I would say. Yeah, so without further ado, today we're going to talk with Professor Galina Paname from the Liverpool Hope University. She is a professor in psychology and her focus lies on color vision. And today we're going to talk about this phenomena that keeps being interesting to me. Um, Russian color of blues. And Professor Parame looks at it from different angles. So there's going to be some psychology, there's going to be some linguistics, there's going to be a lot of interesting paper recommendations, literature recommendations. So make sure you stick to the end. Okay, um, should we start with our questions? <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, the, um, the question that I actually formulated um, a bit tricky <laughs> and made you think that um, I understood the, um, yeah, the, the word for, that this word used for horse fur, actually. Um, yeah, so, Sini and Galuboy both come from the words that were initially associated with dark or light, but darkness or light. And when they came to mean blue, they were used differently. So Sini was, well, actually, um, they were both kind of used with, um, also with natural um, environment and natural um, like nature, like water and things like that. But um, they have kind of different connotation from what I've um, from what I've understood. That when you use "galuboy" with um, I don't know sky and water and everything else, it kind of has different connotation as when you use "sini." And is there maybe? an explanation why these colors that actually well in the in the mind of an English speaker let's say not right now because we're speaking English in the mind of English speaker are just two shades of the same color why do this two shades of the same color put it in in quotation um why do they tend to have such different range and different 
different field of, of, of using it? Does it have to do with a, is there a, maybe a psychological explanation behind that? Why is it for Russian speakers like that? Mm -hmm. So um, I will start with the meaning of Sini and Golubuy and their emergence in the Russian language as far as I know. And this chapter by Raman Krivko and the article by Murianov helped me further to understand. So Sini is a very old term in Old Slavic. I'm talking now about this pra-language of all Slavic languages, Eastern Slavic uh, languages. And it is uh, not quite clear what the original meaning of Sini was. In some sources it says that it comes from the verb siyat, uh, shine, to shine. But Murianov doubts that it's the correct interpretation of the origin of this word. What is known for sure that like in many languages, the original meaning of that word was dark, black, dark blue, and even dark brown. So, for example, in medieval sources that are cited in those two uh, publications, the word sinets oh, okay. is used to describe dark color of an Ethiopian person. So then the other meaning that is very well known of a noun, sinets, which means devil. So sini uh, was from the beginning not just dark, but uh, like a conglomeration of these dark colors, if if you like, in a color space. And Sini was also pretty early used for describing the color of sea, of water, of sky, and so on. Now, what I learned from uh, Raman Krivko's chapter is that in Old Russian, Golubuy meant only gray. And you know it comes from the noun Golub, dove, and uh, then he writes that the bluish mm -hmm. meaning, or the blue meaning, light blue meaning, appeared only in Middle Russian, so several centuries later. What's interesting, in another chapter in the cultural history of color, on language, on color naming in the Enlightenment, by a Portuguese professor. I learned that in Portuguese there was in the 18th century also a word for light blue okay. that stemmed from the word for uh, a dove. And, uh, he, uh, I must uh, tell his name, this is this volume number four. Um, and he, he's, because he is a Portuguese himself, 
Johao Paulo Silvestre. So he writes that in Portuguese of that time, of the Enlightenment, there was a word, color term, cor de pomba, dove color. And he provides a quotation from a poem's dictionary from that time, who translates it into Latin, Columbinus color. So, dove color. So, the interesting thing, I can imagine that in Old French there was also a similar name, that there were in some other Romans languages the word for a dove color, but yeah. now the difference with Russian is that they did not become basic color terms. Whereas in Russian, it took this new meaning, light blue grayish color, and it became a basic color term. So uh, I, I must explain something at this point. Not everybody accepted this view that Golubov is a basic color term. And uh, almost 20 years ago, I have a probably three-hour very lively debate with Robert McClory. Uh, and we started a discussion. He considered that Golubov is only a hyponym, a vantage of the senior category. And he was an American. I told him that uh, native Russian, I'm absolutely convinced that Golubov is another basic color term. After three hours of this debate, <clears throat> we parted with our original views. He didn't accept my view. And in order to prove it, I started checking all possible literature in Russian and also not in Russian. And this is how my article, published in 2005, emerged. And then the chapter in the Anthropology of Color, in that collective monograph that Robert McClory, um, Don Dedrick and myself, edited. Uh, this is how the second part, psycholinguistic part, emerged of those my explanations, because the material was so rich I could not put in just one article, and I separated linguistic and psycholinguistic analysis. And uh, humbly I allow myself to assert that after those two publications, now it is a widespread accepted view that both Russian terms for blue are basic. So so nobody puts it in question like almost 20 years ago, Rob McClory did. Now, um, let us ask ourselves this interesting and important question, why two? basic blues in the Russian language. And as you yourself wrote in another question in Ukrainian and Belarusian, there is also um, an exploration of Polish blue terms, because as you know, they have also 
different tunes yeah. for blue, like Jasny, Blankitny in Polish, uh, Granatowy for navy blue, and so on. Um, mm -hmm. Now, I will start with the Ukrainian and Belarusian, which I know better, because uh, ethnically I am a Ukrainian, so and I grew up in Ukraine till seven years old, and then my family moved to Belarus, so uh, I never spoke Belarusian, but at school I learned it at least two or three years, so I understand Belarusian and I can read. Uh, so therefore I know a little bit more also as a not native speaker, but almost native speaker. So what I know from uh, Murianov's and Krivko's publications is that we had in Middle Ages an old Slavic language that was before part of old Russia was conquered by Tatar-Mongols in the 13th century, 1240, for two and a half hundred uh, hundred years. That was from the eastern part of Euro-Asia. And the then very mighty, powerful Polish um, state used that opportunity to conquer the western part. Uh, which is current uh, Western Belarus and Western Ukraine. And it was even more, if I'm not mistaken, I must check the history, historical yeah. dates, for 350 years. So uh, from the 13th century. So this is when the original Old Russian, Old Slavic, Old Slavic language was influenced by Polish language. And this is what we have in modern Ukrainian. So we have Sini. In modern Belarusian we have Sini also, which are from the Old Slavic language. But we also have Blakitny in modern Ukrainian and Blakitny also in modern Belarusian, if I'm not mistaken. And these are the borrowings from the Polish language. Yeah. And if you think of the origin of Blakitny, it's blank, which means white or light. Yeah. So this is the origin. So in fact, uh, I hope I have answered your fourth question, why in modern Ukrainian and Belarusian, because they are cognate languages that have the same root in Old Slavic with Russian, with the influence, because of historical, uh, political, economic language circumstances during long time, borrowings from Polish. Now I'm coming back again to the first question, why Goluboy became so cognitively salient in, uh, in Russian. And what helped me, uh, 
regularly I get alerts from Academia Edu about relevant publications. And just yesterday I got an alert of a new article from a research group of Professor Azifa Majid, who used to work in Nijmegen at the Max Planck Institute in Holland in the Netherlands. And since about two years, she's professor in at the University of York in Great Britain. I, I read almost, read almost all her publications. I met once here nine years ago at a conference in Glasgow, Progress in Color Study 2012. And I'm always amazed by the quality and insights uh, in the studies from her group led by her. And this is another example. She and her group have published on the 27th of September this year in Scientific Report, a publication which I opened now on my other screen, Environment and Culture Shape both okay, the so color then, lexicon yeah. and the genetics of color perception. And uh, I'm not touching the genetics, they consider uh, color abnormality, congenital color abnormality. Uh, I'm touching what I have learned from this article, environment and culture shape color lexicon. They did analysis of many languages, many populations, a set of 142 populations, analyzed their color lexicon, and analyzed different factors in environment and culture that shape color lexicon, and in particular, the presence of a specific term for blue. So uh, this is also open access. As you know, scientific reports, I can also send it to you. What I see among basic or oh, take-home messages from this study about the blue terms. Yeah. They name three main cult uh, factors that affect, mm -hmm. keep in mind, the boy. So one factor is the latitude where people speak in this mm -hmm. language live. The other is the size of the population. So how many people communicate and need to understand each, comprehend each other. The latitude, it's because of the ultraviolet incidence. Then the other environment factor is the presence of a lot of lakes. Yes, very interesting geographic factor. I have never read about it. And then in the cultural factors, they also mention subsistence. So how wealthy or relatively wealthy this speaking population is. So now about blue in my chapter in 2007 in the book, I speculated 
that it's because of the environment, snow, water, different shades of sky, and this is what actually is confirmed by this, because in old Slavic population, there was a lot of lakes, and we know this. And because of different temperatures, for example, in Moscow, temperature varies between minus 25 in December before this warming climate changes. And in July and August, it goes up to 35, 39 degrees. So what does it mean? It means that the color of the sky changes a lot. Then in, in winter, we have different shades of snow, a very crispy snow with minus 20, minus 30, minus 35 even. And we have sleet. This is this very watery snow, usually at the beginning, mid-November, and also in at the end of March, beginning of April. So it's also very different shades of this bluish environment, right? So that was my first speculation. I had another speculation about a cultural factor, and it is not what is discussed in this article, but I consider that it might be because of the religious uh, symbolism. And uh, it is well known that in iconography, in Russian iconography, the symbolism is very steady over centuries. From uh, Andrei Rublev, who was the founder of Russian iconography. And if you watch Tarkovsky's movie, Andrei Rublev, you know who was his teacher. And this was Theophanes the Greek. And Theophanes the Greek arrived to Russia from Constantinople. And he brought with him the Byzantine influence of this cultural symbolism in iconography. And that was my speculation that dark blue named Sini was used to depict mundane Jesus Christ, whereas light silvery blue was used in those old icons, 14th century, (laughs) to depict mandorla, like an eggshell embodiment of Jesus Christ in his heavenly state. So, but it was my speculation. It's interesting that after I have written that chapter, but have not yet submitted it, or at least not the final version, 
I came across a very interesting article by Vladimir Moss from 1988 in a very strange, unknown um, outlet, Quinterim, if I pronounce it correctly. Vladimir Moss was, at the end of the 1980s, a PhD student at the University of Surrey, and his supervisors were Professor Ian Davis, a psychologist, who published a lot on Russian color terms, and uh, a linguist at the same university, Corbett. And Vladimir Most, together with them, published at least three articles uh, on the psycholinguistic side of Russian color terms, Russian blues, Russian purples, and so on. Mm-hmm. And I, and then I came across that article only with his own name, which was about linguistics and prob- prob- possible or probable cultural background of the Russian blues. And I searched him on the internet, and they found a very interesting mm-hmm. thing. He became interested in this religious symbolism of Russian colors, and he analyzed colors in different Russian schools of icons in Vladimir, in Suzdal, in Moscow school. Mm-hmm. He um, highlighted the differences in color palette between those schools, and he came to the same conclusion as myself mm-hmm. of a symbolic meaning of dark, sini and light, голубой uh, colors in Russian icons. I was so happy when I read this. It was, yeah. you know, converging evidence that we are thinking in the same direction. And I put a footnote in the final version of my chapter about this work by him. Now, mm-hmm. what... Uh, by the way, he later on left academia. He bought a PhD from Surrey University. Oh. He left academia. Mm-hmm. He was he went for being baptized in the Russian Orthodox Church, Western Russian Orthodox Church. And the last trace on yeah. the internet and Google I found of him several years ago, he was a Russian Orthodox priest way, in a church somewhere in southeastern England. So, don't know. Uh, This this year's interest. So, he, because of this color naming, he became interested in Russian religion, Orthodox Christian religion. Very interesting. So, uh, now to wrap up uh, this a bit lengthy comments. So, if I will use again the two words from this latest article of uh, Asifa Majid's group, Culture and Environment. I think both contributed to prominence, to cognitive salience of both. So the environment, because of snow, sky shades, and a lot of water shades, and culture, because of cultural symbolism. 
And this is what made this color of a dove, color of dove, so prominent for Russians. I'm speculating, I'm not a linguist, uh, but probably it was this cultural complexity. And I would like to add something that I learned just a few days ago from this Muryanov's article um, uh, to interpretation of old Slavic uh, color terms. It's about lapis lazuli. And you know that lapis lazuli was the precious stone or semi-precious stone from which um, it, it is also called lazurite, from which the pigment was extracted, which was very expensive and was used for paintings in middle age times very, very rarely and scarcely. Because Lapis Lazuli was found only in one place in Afghanistan. So mm -hmm. when it came to Europe, uh, it was named Lashvart, this Persian name, Lashvart. And from Lashvart, two, no, one stem came in old, uh, in, in South, uh, European languages, in three languages, in Spanish, in Portuguese, and in Italian. This is azul in Spanish, in Portuguese, and azul in uh, azul or azzurro, azzurro in Italian, and uh, azure in English later on, and azur in French later on. So from this Lashvard, from Persian, I have, I, I assume or I suspect that this precious stone was brought via the Silk Road from Persia, maybe via Ottoman Empire, Turkey, to the kingdom mm -hmm. or princedom, I don't know how to correct name it, of Scythian, which was southern part of Russia and modern Crimea. What is known mm -hmm. from what I have read that Scythian from this lapis lazuli mm -hmm produced wonderful objects, decoration objects, mm -hmm. of a great variety mm -hmm. of blue color. If you go on Google Images and put Scythian lapis lazuli, you will find wonderful decorations in dark, in very saturated blue, in cornflower blue, so like okay. not so dark, and very light mm -hmm. blue, which can be named Goluboy, or even like light turquoise, Beruzovic. Mm -hmm. 
And what I read in this Murianov's article, that skis were known to produce those wonderful objects, wow. and they were oh, the main okay. supplier makes, I mean, of these objects to Rome. So, what are uh, then mm -hmm. another thing about this object, colors and decoration, is smalt, which was used already in 11th century mm -hmm. to make mosaics in the famous Kiev Sophia Cathedral. So, now think. Mm -hmm. Christianization of Russia took place in 988, end of the 10th century. And in 11th century, in Kiev, that was capital of old Russia, this famous cathedral was built. If you have an opportunity to visit it, please do, or at least look for the images. When I was for the first time in that cathedral, it was just wow. And luckily, before I was 16 years old, before I came to Kiev mm -hmm. to see this cathedral, my father had had a wonderful album about this cathedral with a lot of photographs and text. So I have just swallowed that album. And when my family and our friends came, at oh. a certain occasion. Oh. Uh, that year, my father uh, defended his habilitation uh, in Kiev. And so our family stayed about one week in Kiev, and family, big family and friends, we, uh, we visited that cathedral. And I was a guide because I had read about this cathedral in that wonderful book. And therefore, I know that mosaics are made of a lot of blue color, this smalt, in Russian it's called smalta, with different shades. So I can imagine that this came via that Persian Silk Road, via Turkey, Ottoman, uh, not yet Ottoman Empire, Turkey, yeah? to Russia, to old Russia, to Kiev, Russia, and probably the Russian princedom was rich enough to be able to pay for this very expensive lapis lazuli to follow the canons of iconography from the father of their religion, from Constantinople, from Byzantine, yeah. Byzantium. Yeah. So this is also my speculation. I'm trying just to put all these um, different uh, threads, environment and culture, but also um, now this uh, factor of being yeah. able to afford to pay for this expensive pigment to produce smalt and to produce colors for icons. Yeah, so probably this all contributed to the saliency of the Golubui category and 
yeah, concept that, um, of this light really in the Russian culture, the Russian language. behind it, really. And uh, yeah, probably I need to read more after the 2007 chapter on this, if I will find time. Now, I'm addressing your uh, sixth uh, question, whether Italian blues, which I published one, a couple of papers, are related to the Russian blues. Not directly, very different languages, yeah. Slavic language and Romans language. And as we know, with this Azzurro uh, influenced by Lashvard. Uh, the origin of the term itself is not the same. But um, I will give you an analog from a biological world. Mm -hmm. So, for example, it's known that insects have four photopigments and can perceive ultraviolet light that we cannot. It is also known that birds have four photopigments in their eyes and can perceive ultraviolet light. Does it mean that insects and birds are related? No. It's a separate development in both types of species because of the pressure for survival and reproduction. So they both developed the false ultraviolet sensitive pigment, yeah. photopigment, in order to perceive what is necessary for their functioning and reproduction. So with this biological analog, I'm coming to the Russian blues and Italian blues. I think that Italian language developed it because of the demand. And if you recently read these wonderful papers by several groups independently published, Terry Regia about the pressure of communication, about uh, pressure, demand on communication group by Babel Conway, they published in the same year with different terms. It was 2017 and then 18 and 19, some other papers. But there was a work about 10 years earlier from uh, California, from uh, the University of California, Irvine, by um, Kimberly Jameson and uh, a mathematician, mm -hmm. Russian professor in mathematics there, Natalia Komarova. Kimberly is a psychologist, cognitive psychologist. And this is what I read for the first time in their paper in Journal of Mathematical Psychology, Journal, Optical, Journal of the Optical Society of America. This is where they put for the first time this thesis, communication mm -hmm. pressure makes us develop new terms and new categories uh, distinguishing certain mm -hmm, mm -hmm. areas yep. in a color space. If we need to communicate distinctively about those two areas of color space. And 
if you have been in Italy, yeah. I presume you were amazed by the variety of blue colors, greenish turquoise, turquoise, as they say, turchino in other dialect, uh, indigo, um, celeste, azzurro, azzurina, they use suff suffixes, they use uh, some compounds, they use adjectives to communicate this variety of blue colors in their sky and in their sea. The other cultural factor, or rather I would say probably trade factor, is that indigo, if mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken, came to Europe via uh, Venice. And indigo, as you know, and everybody, it's accepted mm -hmm. fact, supplanted the previously used in Europe road, a plant, pigment for dyeing clothes, and some other things also. So indigo supplanted it. And indigo gave a darker shade than previously road, and a much more stable color yeah. and more brilliant color and originally so this is the trade side but if one needs to name this new shade of blue not with the word azzurro that had been already present in italian from the 13th century why one needs a new word and this is, uh, again, my speculation. I consulted a very prominent anthropologist linguist, uh, specialist in dyes, Italian and old middle, medieval dyes in Italy, uh, Dr. Frisson, who, is, who works in Rome and in London. And this is what uh, he wrote to me that uh, probably it had this cultural significance, or we discussed rather. We we could not find any publications, yeah. but uh, indirectly. So because indigo was so uh, expensive, extremely expensive, only noblesse, very rich people, high standing in the society yeah. in Italy, could afford buying uh, this for dyeing their clothes. Mm -hmm. And probably because of this, the word blue, a borrowing from French bleu, yeah. came to sure. Italian language. So I am a doge, yeah? I'm very yeah. rich. My standing is very high. I need to wear indigo dyed clothes, I am wearing need to, not azzurro clothes, I'm wearing blue clothes. So, and probably because of this factor, this cultural subsistence yeah. factor, the second term oh. for blue, uh, navy blue, Afterwards. emerged only in the 17th century.
So four centuries after mm -hmm. Atsura. And now one other tomb, which you probably know, is Celeste. And Celeste mm -hmm. is used instead of Atsura on Sardinia. This is what I published about. So for them, the middle and yeah. wide blues are Celeste. It's probably the influence from Catalonia, because mm -hmm. Sardinia had been occupied by Catalans. And what we are hoping yeah. to publish soon is about Florence blue tones wow. in Tuscany. And they have three basic color terms, apparently. We have submitted uh, months ago our manuscript and we presented it in August at the 14th Congress of the International Color Society that according to all criteria that we collected about blue, azzurro and celeste, those yeah. who live in Florence and in Tuscany need all three terms. And uh, we have uh, titled this uh, paper Dressed, Closed in Triple Blues. Florence Blues... Uh, Flor so Florence closed in triple blues. So now that was a bit lengthy explanation why Italian blues emerged to distinct also those shades. That's a, it's a really interesting historical and social, like the, the, the need to show off your social status and how it affected the language itself and actually affected the 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 way people look at at color of blue and different shades and hues of color of blue that's that's uh, something that we actually don't think about that often i also um in my bachelor's thesis i um well i cited your um, work and your point of view where the religion, religious, um, <coughs> religious uh, background affected the Russian distinction from Zini and Golubov, but, um, and that, that actually the environmental thing never came to my mind. I, 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 I assume it also plays a big role that the environment in which we live in, environment in which the language developed, um, can also play a huge role in the development of, of color terms. Oh yes, for sure. Actually, in the last 10 years, there are more and more publication, publications on the role of environment uh, to uh, yeah, to communicate, and one of the convergent findings uh, across different works and languages is that we mm -hmm. have many more hyponyms for red mm -hmm. category. We name warm colors, mm -hmm. yellow, orange, red categories, big categories, mm -hmm. with many more other terms, yes. and for example, cool colors. 
and it's probably understandable because in the in nature there are not so many blue colors but a lot of red yes. red yeah i mean when it comes to when it comes to red um when talking about for example um south slavic languages um i can with certainty say that um, there are a lot of different terms which can specify the, the, the shade and the, not just the shade, but the, um, a certain situation in which the color of red is being used. For example, um, the word for um, healthy and um, maybe like the color of the skin that shows that you were that you grew up in a healthy environment and nature um, that can be um, called yeah. rumena in Serbian and um, that's that's a specified really specified shade of blue that is indicating that the people with this certain color of of skin um, grew up in a healthy environment grew up in an environment that provided them with fresh air and um, nature and it's actually i can't think of any other situation where i would use the word rumena other than describing the color of the skin so um it's it's actually a really specific environmental thing and the, the way that this fresh air actually um caused your skin to 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 go and uh, to be reddish to be red yeah fresh air and good blood supply to the skin. And uh, I don't know whether you know that in Russian there is this word rumiana, uh, which is uh, in English or French is rouge, a noun. Not red, but rouge, uh, what one puts, what women put on, on the uh, on the cheeks. Yeah, yeah. Um, you actually answered my second question, so I'm going to go through the third and talk about the study on color discrimination um, that you carried out. And it is based on Russian and English speakers' ability to make a distinction between Sini and Galuboy, and then Sini and Zelony, um, and English speakers to, to make a distinction between dark blue and um, light blue. And you wrote, and I'm quoting, the transition of Sini to Goluboy was somewhat sharper than the transition from dark blue to light blue. And from what I've understood, the reason for that could lie in the language. So the way that they made distinction between Sini and Goluboy, and then later Sini and Zelioni, which were to different colors um but the way the distinction has been made 
uh, and the the transition from from those two colors um, is sharper in English than in Russian. And um, there is um, linguistic maybe explanation for that. Um. Okay, I will uh, make a step back a little bit to the procedure of that experiment, which was carried out the first part uh, in uh, Aberdeen by Jasna Martinovich, and she tested her students who are Russian speakers, but they are not monolingual Russian speakers, because mm -hmm. all her students were from the Baltic countries, studying in Scotland. So they were all trilingual. Oh. Because uh, apart from Russian and English, of course, they speak their other Baltic language. So Estonian, Latvian or Lithuanian. And uh, so she did this comparison between English monolingual speakers, also her students, and these uh, EU students in a task which asked not to distinguish continuous colors, but to uh, one task was to name them, to categorize them. Sini or Golubui for Russian speaking, and light blue and dark blue, dark blue and light blue for English speaking participants. And uh, what she found out, because she replicated the Vinava et al. study with one, uh, you know probably this study, very mm -hmm. highly cited, 700 citations or something like this, from 2007 in the United States with Russian bilinguals and American mon mm -hmm. English monolinguals, mm -hmm. who showed that reaction times of Russians at the boundary between Sini and Golubui were shorter than of the English-speaking mm -hmm. participants. And uh, so what Yasna found, there was no this difference between your Russian-speaking participants and British-English-speaking participants. And um, she wrote to me, it was, we both were surprised and uh, uh, I commented that it might be because her participants are not Russian monolinguals. And they grew up in Baltic countries in other languages, not the, yeah. the Moscow or St. Petersburg Russian language or Nizhny Novgorod, whatever. And uh, so in order to publish this and to make such a strong assertion, that we cannot replicate the phenomenon reported by the group of Vinava et al. We needed testing Russian monolinguals, where mm -hmm. she found a former colleague who is a Canadian, who was a PhD student in Aberdeen in Scotland, who by that time already lived and taught in Moscow. Oh. So it was a very strange constellation, a Serbian 
who studies Russian blues in Aberdeen in Scotland, a Russian who sits in Liverpool, and a Canadian who lives in Moscow. So um, he arranged a replication of that study with Russian monolinguals. And again, we didn't get the Vinava et al. phenomenon. So uh, Yasna's original idea was that if Golubuy is a proper basic color term, the transition between Sini and Golubuy in this reaction time study and in this naming categorization study should be the same like transition between Sini and Zelony, green, blue and green. And we know that Sini and Zelony are proper basic color terms in Russian, like yeah. blue and green in English. And therefore, this other transition between the two categories, other border uh, boundary, uh, category boundary, was studied in exactly the same design, measuring reaction times and measuring naming. And this is where these uh, results were published that you cite in your question number three. The, the transition between Sini and Zelone was sharper for Russian-speaking participants than the transition between Sini and Golubuy. Now, one needs to explain it. Why the transition between these two blue categories is less, not so sharp. And uh, Yasna's hypothesis is that it is because the distinctive main feature of Sini and Golubuy categories is not uh, along the hue dimension, but along the lightness dimension. Mm -hmm. So her hypothesis is I will say in a second why it is not, we cannot assert that this, this is the explanation. This is a hypothesis. Hypothesis is that when in our mind we distinguish something along the lightness dimension, this distinction is not so sharp as along the hue dimension. Now, can this hypothesis be tested? Yes, experimentally, mm -hmm. empirically. Instead of Russian blues, we can go for Italian blues. Oh, yeah. Right? This hasn't yet been done, but potentially mm -hmm. it can be done. Just no workforce, no postgraduate students or, or mm -hmm. postdocs just to run this experiment, taking the same or similar stimuli as Yasna used for her experiment, and uh, Joe Makinas replicated in, with, in Moscow, um, mm -hmm. and test Italian speakers, or test Spanish speakers from Latin America, from Uruguay, 
or Guatemala, who also have Azul and Celeste, also two basic mm -hmm. terms. Also have, yeah. Or one can also uh, run an experiment for English speaking, testing the boundary between red and pink. Because yeah, that would be, yeah, pink yeah. was yeah. originally part of the, in the yeah. old languages, Middle English, it right. was part of the red category. And then they mm -hmm. separated, like Sini yeah. and Golubboy. So their distinction is mostly not along the hue dimension, but along the lightness range. So this, uh, this is something that is verifiable, this hypothesis. The other question is why the lightness dimension is not so prominent as the hue dimension. I cannot answer that. I am. That's really something to think about. And do you think that maybe the gender of the speaker has anything to do in the way that um, Sini and Galoboy are being distinct and the Sini and Galoboy are being used? Do you think that maybe... Um, I must confess something. When I first mm -hmm. received your questions and read this question, I answered to myself, I don't know, one cannot okay. answer this question. But today in the morning, shortly before the start of our conversation, I reread this question and thought that actually I could have looked into two works mm -hmm. I co-authored, two publications. One, 2018, uh, published in Color Research and Application, Parami uh, Grieber Milonas, and the other is Grieber Milonas Parami, more recent, gender differences in Russian mm -hmm. color names. Uh, so <laughs> I should look how men and women in Russia, Russian women and women use Sini and Golubboy, but I have a hunch. I think that men use more Sini uh, and also compound terms like mm -hmm. svetla sini, like light sini, because it is well known, not only for Russian, but for all languages, that women have many more so-called fancy, elaborate color terms, hyponyms. Uh, this is what we published, I course, in that chapter in Progress in Color Studies 2014, Milonas, Rene, and McDonald, mm -hmm. Gender Differences in Color Naming in, in English. And so where a man says uh, light blue, uh, oh, oh, let, us, uh, let us use another example. Uh, for example, yeah. light purple. A woman was, would use uh, a term fuchsia or magenta or where a man would use the term in, in English blue-green yeah. uh, compound 
uh, a woman would use the term turquoise yeah. or a cyan. Yeah. So these are these more elaborate, fancy color terms and hypernames. So therefore, my hunch is that where Russian men would say Svetlosini, light sini, probably <laughs> women would say Vesilkovy, mm -hmm. cornflower, uh, blue, or uh, say Golubboy, or Tumnagolubboy, dark Golubboy, and so on. I must take a look at this. And also at our regional data that Yulia Griban has collected in this online color naming experiment, it's, uh, it's extremely uh, rich data set. And I don't know whether you have seen just exactly eight days ago, our new paper was published on a similar data set, intergenerational differences in Russian color naming. So Yulia arranged testing a cohort of 2,000 people, Russian people, from 16-year-old to 98-year-old. And we assess richness and diversity of color vocabulary for each life decade. That's now in, um, connected to, the, to, to not only to the gender, but also to the age of the speaker. Yes, and I will tell you how the idea of this study emerged. When Yulia first collected this data in the color naming experiment, mm -hmm. and I was going through this to categorize them and to calculate statistics, to see statistics. Mm -hmm. Actually, Excel did it for me, but I just assessed what tendencies. I suddenly noticed that there are color terms that are calques from English terms or Italian or French terms, which had not been existent when I left Russia in 1995. I'm already, yeah, no, uh, originally, first I went as a Humboldt Fellow in 1990 mm -hmm. and 91, so I'm already 30 years outside Russia. I then lived one year, 94, 95, back in Moscow, and then I left. And I read those color terms, so I had never seen them, never heard them, some I didn't know how to explain. I went on Google Room, input what them color? in order to see on Google Images what color it is. Or, for example, a color term, glamourny. Mm -hmm. I know English glamour yeah. <laughs> or glamorous, yeah? But what color is it? I have no idea. So, and I replied to Yulia Grieber, who is professor of... Mm -hmm culturology at the University of Smolensk, I replied to her, Yulia, something new has emerged in those decades that I am away from Russia in the Russian language. And because your respondents are mostly in their 20s, probably it is the phenomenon in the modern Russian language of young generations can we collect a little bit more data of those who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and so on? And then she planned how many respondents are 
required for each language group and triggered a new data collection across all Russia. And this is what she collected 2018-2020 and this is what we published. It's actually the, the emergence of new colors. Which color is then glamourny in the end? Did you... Uh, glamorous? Oh, I have forgotten. <laughs> I must I have look it, once again. I have it in my mind something like maybe, I don't know, grayish, but I don't know why. <laughs> it's just something that... Yeah, I also thought that something maybe with pearl mood, yeah. uh, something, yeah. Exactly. Something very noble, <laughs> probably. Yeah. So I must check what yeah. it means in Russian, but really... You will see new terms, color terms emerged in the vocabulary yeah. of these uh, young people, especially 20 year in their 20s and 30s. And did you do it by decade, like 20s, 30s, yes. 40s? Okay, okay. Yes, uh, apart from the ends of the age mm -hmm. spectrum, because we separated um, age group 16 to 19, mm -hmm. because they yeah. are very different. Yeah. It is the Generation Z. Yeah. And we also, because it was not so easy to have respondents in an online experiments in older yeah. ages, there is a 70-plus group okay. from 70 to 98. Those are merged together in one group. Okay. Yes. okay. And you collected it? Yes. Because they are not uh, frequent computer users and also from the viewpoint of demographics, yeah. there are not so many mm -hmm. people in their 80s or 90s mm -hmm. as in their 20s. But did you do it in, um, like, geographically speaking? You did it just uh, in one um, part of Russia, or did you have... No, 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 because everybody has access to mm -hmm. the internet. Mm -hmm. So uh, Yule advertised this data collection across uh -huh. all uh, Russian-speaking okay. diaspora. And if I understand correctly, some were not living mm -hmm. in Russia, but in the uh, first part uh, in the survey, um, before the experiment itself, they were asked where mm -hmm. they live. So what is their age? Uh, what other languages they speak? So, for example, there were some Russian-speaking people from Kazakhstan mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or uh, Turkmenistan or those who live abroad mm -hmm. in Europe or in the United States and Canada. That Italy. all merged. Italy. I will. I will. Yes, yes. You said that inter intergeneration differences in color terms. Yes, I, I can yeah. send you also the link mm -hmm. uh, to this article. It was published in a, a rather new journal, published now by Springer and mm -hmm. Nature. The journal is called Humanities and Social Sciences Communications, and it is an open access journal. Very interesting article. Sometimes I'm just looking at their latest publications. Very interesting phenomena. Uh, on color, it's only the second mm -hmm. article. Um, so on very different humanities and social sciences topics. I will, I will yeah. take a look at, into it. Um, I guess we answered all the questions, even though we didn't get 
through all of them, <laughs> but you, um, you shared your interesting stories and your interesting points of view that covered actually more than I, I've, um, had planned in my questions, but that's oh, sorry, good. I was probably very know, talkative. That's, that's, yeah. No, that's really great. I really enjoyed the way that you um, explain from different points of view, the, the this emergence and this differences that um, occurred in various languages, not just we didn't just um, go into the topic of Russian color terms, but also in Romance languages and English and and well, Serbian as well. And thank you very much for this. This was really so insightful, so interesting. Thank you very much for um, inviting me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not just, it's really the mixture of all of these disciplines that um, contribute to the to the development of the of the language and color terms uh, I would like to quote something from Mariano's yeah. article just the first paragraph in that article духовное восприятие мира цветов и символика and this uh, struck me when i read this almost first sentence in that paper that we perceive color духовно uh, uh, i don't know how to translate духовно into Spirit? english spiritually in a spiritual way, way yeah. Way, yeah. yeah. So it's not only perception as such, it's not only linguistics yeah. as such, uh, it's not only about distinguishing and discrimination, but it's about uh, sim symbols and this spiritual side of perceiving yeah. color. Error and our own perspective, our own experiences. I think they also shape the way that we see and perceive colors that are around us. And that's also, well, something that we as individuals cannot claim for another person, but we can just assume that everyone, it just is slightly, uh, have just a slightly different perception on the colors that are that are around us and it's really i mean it would be super interesting to actually see how others <laughs> see um maybe the same shades or, or the same tones of colors and how that which effect does that have on them but i think unfortunately we cannot uh, you are in such an interesting place in vienna where it's not German of Germany. Yeah. It's the German language influenced in great degree by Hungarian yeah. and by Slavic languages from the former yeah. Kaukar, this empire, Austrian empire. So if you would have an opportunity to study categorization and naming color in Austria, in Vienna in particular maybe, to compare with the mm -hmm. German in Germany, in yeah. Hochdeutsch, yeah, this categorization. Um, interesting things might, might come out, or in particular, if you compare different mm -hmm. regions, like Isabel Forbes did mm -hmm. it for French, 
brown and marron in Alsace, for example, compared with Paris mm -hmm. and with Brittany. And because the influence in Alsace is very strong from Germany, the main term for brown mm -hmm. was brown, whereas in Paris and in Brittany was marron. And it, I cannot exclude that you might find similar things, I don't know for which terms, in different regions in Austria. For example, those that are close mm -hmm. to Hungary different. might also have different meaning of red because of Pirosh and Forosh, two reds in Hungarian. And maybe those that regions that are close to other Slavic mm -hmm. borders they have something different in their blow because of modri, mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Modri yeah, is a term for blue in uh, southern Slavic yeah. languages. Mm. Yeah. So, or maybe those who at the end closer to Switzerland have also something different. That is interesting too, yeah. So from, from this view, Austria, for a linguist or psycholinguist or psychologist, is such an interesting country and language. Yeah, that's um, I never really thought about it in that way, but it's really um, the varieties of the languages that influence German in this area and in the Nindy area of um, Western Austria. And I think, I mean, the, the, the difference between the language spoken here in Eastern Austria and then the language spoken in Western Austria, the contact that it has with um, the minorities and everything. I think that, yeah, that, that would be really interesting to, to see. Um, thank you once again. So I hope I have infected yes, yes, you a yes, little I'm, bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm really, uh, I wrote it all down. Thank you very much once again. Mm -hmm.